Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hello, everybody. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Uh, I am Alexis. We have Ray, Josh, and Brett with us today. I feel like it's been a while since we've said our name. Who we are. We're just like, we know things. Listen to us. We're the regulars. Facts. But also, if you're new to this, that is who we are. (laughs) And we do, in fact, know things. And so welcome to our podcast about knowing things. Specifically, plant things. Thank you. Good to be here. Oh, wait. No. That's the audience. Good. <laughs> yes, yes. We hope we hope the role as audience. You guys are so cool. I'm just gonna go leave a review of this podcast and say that it's great <laughs> so that other friends and family can learn that it's about this great podcast. Thank you, anonymous listener. <laughs> what Sesame uh, that was, Street that character was, was that? Me as Elmo <laughs> Brett. Going through puberty. <laughs> as <laughs> You are wearing red again today, Brett. <laughs> All right. Well, we were going to talk our our plan. Our idea was uh, to talk about some container plants uh, today, some potted plants. It's a little bit different than kind of some of the things we talk about. We usually try and relate everything we talk about onto a very um, commercial scale for those of our farmers in the group, all the way down to, you know, a homeowner who may just have a tree in their yard or something like that. And I think in some ways, you know, talking about containers definitely has a commercial aspect. So we can talk about, we could talk about commercial mums. We, we can talk about, um, you know, commercial hanging baskets, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff there. But uh, I think we each kind of have our own mm. personal love of uh, some some form well, of container plants. Brett, I know mm, you have a, a very, very special, special love. love of one particular kind. <laughs> and my endless love. And one the, well, I think for me, the reason my bias or my, my reason for wanting to talk about this is that, as you mentioned, the, hort- the world of horticulture extends from yes those tomatoes in the ground whether it be a commercial field or a home garden but it can also be that we have a lot of folks who are living in apartments and or they they live in an area that they don't have access to getting stuff in the ground for one reason or another or there are some people some some crazy people um, um, among them who decides to take these crazy tropical plants and try to grow them inside their house figure out a window or a door or uh, something, some way of getting light into them, and so it's just a way of acknowledging that not all, uh, not all horticulture in the, in our in our culture is in the ground or is soil based all the time. Yeah, yeah, heresy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that's 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 the reason. But you, you, you yeah. if you are growing a little pothos in your office window or your apartment window, you're engaged in your part of the horticulture, the, the culture of horticulture, as Alexis would say. Uh, and we want to acknowledge that. And also <laughs> we really like it. And I, I have some plants that I grow in containers we can talk about later, but. I, I just find containers really enabling. I love the possibilities that growing things, whatever you choose to grow in containers, I think it's just really uh, flexible and enabling and it allows people to grow where maybe they, they could not grow before. That's why it's so exciting to me. Uh, no matter what life stage you're in, no matter where you're at, as long as you have a bit of sunlight, you can usually accomplish, yeah. you know, growing in, you know, other than mineral based soils and some kind mm-hmm. of growing medium, if you have access to that. Uh, and yeah, container containers have huge implications for, for yeah. a lot of people, people, people with other abilities, maybe some physical limitations or otherwise for one reason or another. Absolutely. Um, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And certain types of big scale commercial production rely mm. on containers, right? Like if you're selling sure. live plants to people, mm-hmm. it's going to come in some form of a container. So bag culture, like even right. Pot, yeah. Pot ball and burlap. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. literally, you split a bag of potting soil open and grow a tomato in it and they emptied it out of the greenhouse and go back again, do that with thousands of bags of things. Yeah. Right. A commercial scale. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lot of people's first dip mm. into horticulture, I think, is a house plant, right? Like an African violet, a pothos, a jade plant, maybe a plant that, you know, and they come from, I think, one of my favorite parts about, you know what? I have an idea for another episode. If you think this is a good idea, people listening, leave us a review. But 
like mm. plants that are passed down. So often the plants that you get from grandma or your great aunt or um, mm-hmm. are plants that are house plants. And so uh, I think that's so fascinating. I had a woman call me the other day and she she was talking about it was like something that her great grandfather brought over the mountains from, wow. you know, Virginia and you know, it's mm-hmm. just such a cool, there's a lot of history that goes into it. So it's I have one of those on my porch, Alexis, that's four generations old on yeah. my wife's side. And I'm informed if I ever What's let that die, that I will be next. No pressure. It's a type of lily. Oh, I have yeah, to go back and see. It's an amaryllis, like a, some sort of amaryllis, isn't it? Yeah. Or is it a blood some, lily? And it's not a blood lily. It's one of the big orange lilies. And I've ID'd mm-hmm. it and I'd have to go back and look it up. But it is, I think, at least four generations old in her family. But yes, I cannot let anything happen to this. It's currently doing very well on the porch. Had a little mealybug infestation. We've got that under control. But the history and the mm-hmm. love that's went into it, like, yeah, that's a great point, Alexis. Um, just generations of uh, care went into these things and division and, um, you know, different people hopefully have shared that. So, yeah, it's awesome. So anyways, we're very excited, although uh, we all love to be outside and I could talk all day about soil, as you probably know by now. Dirt. There is something. (laughs) (laughs) Shut your belly mouth. (laughs) There are some really cool things. I worked in a greenhouse uh, all through undergrad and uh, have a love of tropical, you know, quote unquote house plants, but just growing plants in media which is, you know, maybe, maybe that's a good place to start is kind of the, one of the differences or several of the differences there are between mm. growing in a pot and growing outside. And one, you know, Ray hinted to earlier is we're not growing in a mineral based soil. We're growing in a potting media. So who wants to, I could talk about that all the time, but I know that a lot of you have thoughts on that. The two are very, and we've touched bases on, on a different podcast. If you are a consistent listener, uh, you know that we've touched bases on this, that you can't just take a mineral-based soil out of the soil column and put it in a container and expect to grow things in it because it, you know, doesn't behave like you would want it to. Right. And, and when you yeah, say it doesn't, it's not the case you say it doesn't all, behave the way you uh, want it we're to, usually what do you talking mean? About, yeah. Turns to concrete usually yeah. and that you take it out of its native environment, not to overcomplicate things, out of the soil column, out of its ecosystem, put it into a container and it will almost invariably turn into something that's a lot like concrete. It'll get very hard. It'll be a very inhospitable growing yeah. environment. Yeah. yeah it, 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 so it doesn't drain properly. It doesn't drain. Even if you've got holes in the bottom, it doesn't yeah. drain properly. Air spaces go. So you can't yeah. do that is number one. And there's lots of artificial growing medium. I mean, everything from coconut fiber to the typical peat based materials that we'll find at mm-hmm. your local box store. There are so many cool growing mediums out there, whether you're growing something like an orchid or a tomato and they're customized based on the fertility needs if it's pre-incorporated fertilizer based on the drainage needs if it's a desert-based plant you can get you know ones that have drainage characteristics so really the success in containers to me is either making up or purchasing a pre-formulated um, mix for your container that's that's the beginning and basis of so everything in, in, based on your in goals field and soil and, ground, and the plant. In the, you know ground in your garden or whatever the elements we're thinking about are clay, sand, silt, and loam. Those are kind of the silt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so sand, what are the silt key- and clay? The big three, uh, which are not present. That's not present in a peat-based mix at all. It's not a. In we fact, you'll see on the back soilless, soilless media. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and it's interesting when you bring that up to like a master gardener class, you're just speaking with someone. They're like, "What do you mean soilless? It's my potting." Soil. What all? What yeah, all, it's literally right. soilless. There's what all's no in there? Actual mineral-based soil in, in there. The, in some, some of the cases. options. Lots of things. Yeah. can be sand, can be like fine. Pine finds is big in like commercial industry. It's it's very dependent. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Ray was saying, it depends on what you're trying to do. If you are trying to just fill a couple of pots to have a couple of plants, a pre-made mix is probably where you're going to want to go. But if you're, you know, going to be filling hundreds and hundreds of containers or you're doing something much larger scale, paying full retail on that is going to hurt your bottom line. So you have to look into kind of the raw materials that can be found and mixed together to sort of create a the, the industry or academic term is a substrate to plant into mm-hmm. that is your kind of soilless media. But 
Some of those all things of could be like sand, like peat, yeah. coconut coir, um, or cocoa coir. Perlite. Core, yeah, coconut fiber. Perlite is the white stuff that you see. Pumice. Mm-hmm. It's a natural media uh, that you I see. I always in- want to get vermiculite and perlite. Yeah. Which one's the volcanic ash? That is perlite. Popcorn rock. Perlite, yeah. <laughs> I always have to think about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Perlite's the white stuff you see in your potting soil. And then if you see anything like a shinier substance, that's your vermiculite. And the two do mm-hmm. different things, don't they, Alexis? Perlite yeah. does one thing and vermiculite does another. They're Is that both correct? mostly for drainage, but um, mm-hmm. you, you create different pore space with them because your vermiculite's going to be more like a flat, almost more like clay where it's real flat and so the pore space is different versus uh, perlite is going to have much larger pore space, a lot of aeration held in those. I know a lot about perlite because my master's research was looking at <laughs> growing <laughs> cucumbers <laughs> in a greenhouse and soilless media. Do you ever, so do you ever feel you like when you share this information with us that it's just like perlite before swine? Mm, nice. Every really episode, right. mm-hmm. I saw yeah. the wheels turning. I don't care. Started. I'm gonna get today, folks. The machine. That's right. <laughs> Not to reference old business. Make sure you drink call water. Back. And so, and so, the in the in those mixes, those are there's kind of like organic components. That's the cocoa coir, the peat moss. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the peat and the mm-hmm. uh, it could be. You know, Pine finds, yeah. And pine so finds is one that was That stuff's kind of like holding on to some water, holding on to some nutrition. It gives, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, basically, it's like you're trying. To, one of the things that I had read was, you know, in the, if you're planting in a field, your drainage benefits from the fact that the capillary action, which is everything, everything weird that water does has to do with its surface tension and that pull. And so the capillary action of what's going on further down is helping pull things to drain out. And in a container, you just don't have that. So you're having to kind of create a soil Mm -hmm. that will help move the water Mm -hmm. or not a soil. I mean, that's where it gets a mess, right? Like potting soil. It's it's really right. a soil. In some cases, a larger, yeah, a taller container will drain word. quicker like and dry straight. quicker than a shorter container because the water column is stronger mm-hmm. on that taller container. Not, I mean, if it's small, small, mm-hmm. it's, you know, right, a different story, right. but so, it can be. Excuse me. If we're talking about, if we're, if we're going to talk about that, I feel like I have to bring up the, uh, and I get a lot of pushback on this when I teach this. People who do containers, whatever kind of container you do, there is this mindset uh, and that you should put gravel in the bottom of your container, like a couple inches of gravel, and then you put your soil on top. You know, maybe it's not gravel, maybe it's big rocks, whatever, just some, some larger um, media. And then you put your soil, your soilless substrate, your potting mix, whatever on top of that. And what you do is you kind of create a false soil, Mm -hmm like layer there and that you actually will inhibit that soil from draining because it's going to hold in that top potting soil mixture and it doesn't want to drain into that large porous area of gravel or whatever it is you put there and so you can actually have root rot even though you are trying to have you know a good drainage happening the opposite effect can happen and i get a lot of pushback from people who are like i've always done this and it's i always tell people if you've done it and things are good and you're they're surviving, then that works for you. Maybe you, the way you water or wherever you keep it that works, do what you're going to do. But if you're new to this or you've been having trouble with this, it's because you're uh, in a pot. It's very important mm-hmm. to have a consistency of mm-hmm. whatever media you are using the entire way through because you will cause – a lot of problems. Yeah, it's almost, with it's almost like a, uh, right. the old school I, firefighter bucket brigade where you're handing water from one person to another and everybody's evenly spaced and you can reach it, they can reach it. Yeah. And then at the end of the line, the people have like 20 feet between them. And then you can't hand that water off to the next person because <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Or you're all of a sudden yeah. reaching the bucket. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. I had seen it. You had mentioned this before mm-hmm. and, you know, people kind of bringing this up and um, it not being uh, best practice, but I, so I've seen gravel use, but in a double potting system. 
right? Mm-hmm. To where like mm-hmm. they have a really nice container that doesn't have holes or something mm-hmm. like that, but mm-hmm. is very aesthetically pleasing. And they'll line the bottom of that yes. with gravel. But then the plant truly There's is the in a completely hole. separate container mm-hmm. that is in, then inside that. Yeah. Yes. And that, you know, I'm wondering how much of it is people who have seen just something makes- like that mm-hmm. and then not realizing it feels like it makes it makes common sense and it's one of those things that it's not actually true but Mm -hmm. it feels like it would be yeah that's where i think is i know yeah it just it defies logic and what about get your guys take on like larger containers like let's take a stock tank because i've seen this a lot you know they're really deep and to fill that thing up with let's just say prepared potting mix would cost thousand dollars or more cost a lot of money. And there are methods. If it's larger, can you kind of use a little bit of bottom fill if it's a much larger container? Cause don't the physics change a little bit there? Like so, if it's deep enough, you're saying, yeah, or, hmm. it's deep enough. So the, for something like a stock tank, that's only going to be, you know, two foot, maybe three foot high. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sure the physics do change. I'm not, a physicist oh. i'm a horticulturist yeah, I don't but i there's two things that i will recommend for that which don't and do the thing that we're talking about with the gravel and do that you know drainage inhibition but so one is just to fill it with like a solid substance substance so like as an example you take buckets old buckets that have holes in them or you don't use them anymore heck i've used like old stock tanks that i can't mm. fill with anything and i flip them upside down and so then what i get is kind of like a shallow bottom um, or false bottom on there. And so I still get yeah. the benefit of having so a really you're putting tall. Bottom shim, in it up. Well, however you can right. accomplish getting a bottom right. in there. Yeah, I got you. The other way is that you have a slower mm-hmm. transition. So if we go back to the, you know, visual of the bucket brigade, okay, you have every, you have all the short people. Those are your, you know, your media. And then you gradually get taller. So in this case, it would be you gradually increase the size so you don't go from someone who's, you know, five foot tall to someone eight foot tall. You do five foot tall, then six foot tall, then seven foot, and then eight so foot your is your aggregate, big gravel your pieces at the bottom. Aggregate gets gradually so you bigger create, through the column. It's not like correct. Little, little, right. little, you don't little, go from big. one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice everybody tries gradient. to save money. Everybody tries to. I mean, if you have ever tried to fill up a four by eight, oh, yeah. you know, 12 inches Boy, deep have uh, I. potting soil, I'm you deep. have, I, I haven't. Oh man, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> Story <laughs> of my life. I, we, had a, we had a grant last year and it was a couple thousand dollars and we had a community garden. They said, Oh, we're going to fill these boxes up. And they had like six or eight, four by eight boxes. It did about three of the six mm-hmm. or eight. And that was a, it ate a couple thousand dollars worth of potting soil so quickly. And then there's lots of great calculators. You can go online and, you know, just put in keywords, extension service, you know, uh, raised bed container calculator. And that'll tell you how many cubic feet or whatever of, of mix you need to go into these things. Well, and then, so I went through that with this community group. I said, you know, this is going to take a lot of, a lot of substrate. Uh, Josh, there you go. There's your word. It's going mm-hmm. to take a lot of mix in there. And uh, so everybody's trying to save money. Yeah. Trying to it's, save money. Uh, what's difficult is the one, the, the people who have this figured out down to like a science, right? Of mm-hmm. what is the most profitable way to make this in bulk. That is like one of their operating trade secrets. I mean, like absolutely, I, I've been able to tour some really large container nurseries. Like I went to one up in Oregon for, you know, uh, well, I won't say the name of the company, but they were huge, right? We're talking like several hundred acres of with container orange. plants. And, you know, they're, they have a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they have, you know, like a very involved process for bringing in pine fines and they have their own in-house like kind of composting system and different aggregates. I mean, they mm-hmm. order all these like bulk materials and, you know, they'll talk about the mix in broad strokes, but what it all comes down to and their fertilizer is like, they're not going to tell us about that no. because that's like how they're, that's a way to protect their margins, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, well, a lot of these materials aren't even sustainable, Mm, um, so everybody's, yeah. and that's why I guess is one of the motivations for introducing core fiber a long time, yeah. time ago is it's a more sustainable product or substrate right. that goes in there. Uh, but like peat mud, like you don't make peat. Right. Like, yeah. It you takes might, a few years. Essentially to make that, like yeah. ex- we, we extract peat a lot faster than it comes in. Whereas yes. like cocoa core is, you know, a byproduct of these large coconut plantations and there's tons of it. It ships very easy. It's compressed. There's a little bit of an issue. And because a lot of these things like peat's the same way, if it's completely dried out, 
it takes a long time to be able to get water Breathe to life. adhere to it again. Yeah. And cocoa, of course, the same way. And so when it's shipped totally dry, there's like a brick of this stuff that can turn into a ton of it, but it takes some processing. And it's a little difficult because, you know, the the logistical network isn't there yet to deliver, you know, bulk cocoa. I, uh, I just, just recently got had my first yeah, experience sure. with uh, cocoa coir and bought it. That's C-O-I-R for those Googling at home. Uh, and they ship it to you in this little brick yes. that you can rehydrate and it fluffs out and you can get them like you can get them off of consumer websites. Like it's not like a, just an industry thing. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we've kind of launched out into right. the bigger. If we pull back to the little smaller and we think about those folks in apartments or with a patio or a, a little space mm-hmm. and maybe focusing on the container gardening side. OK, so mm-hmm. looking at my agent colleagues here somebody comes in and they're like i want to try container gardening what do you want to them to have on their list their shopping list to go and pick up you know maybe let's say three different plants probably not (laughs) corn i'm just gonna go there (laughs) and that's the first discussion i have is well what will you what do you want is it ornamental is it edible and if it's edible what is your family going to eat we try to reconcile that with what we know will do well given the space that they have and how big of a container. There's a big difference between yeah. a box and a mm-hmm. individual five gallon container. That's that's where I usually start. Is so what a, is appropriate and I'll, does well. I'll, I'll, in, I'll in play the role here. Uh, so I'm a little container. I don't have much space. Uh, the the patio does get some sun. We really like tomatoes, mm-hmm. and we'd love to do something else, but we're not really sure. Uh, what we want to do yet. Do you have any, you know, good options for a container garden? Well, if you like tomatoes, I usually start with a determinant, something like a patio. Specifically, it'll say tags are pretty good, seed tags and even tags when you go to buy them. They sell out very quickly, so you have to go early in the season, but look for patio tom- tomatoes, smaller varieties. They they grow to a point in height and stop. But if you like tomatoes, you probably are going to like peppers because that's in salsa also. Uh, bell peppers and things like that are great, you know, plants to And what to kind of container am I looking for? That's some really what kind of container the two most common ones for? I see. What's that? Uh, tomato, one of my minimum just rule of thumb sizes for a tomato um, is a little bit larger. That's more like a 8 to 10 gallon I like to have. I know you sure. can do it in a 5 gallon container, but it's a little bit more difficult. So a little bit larger mm-hmm. container for mm-hmm. tomatoes. Peppers about half that. 5 gallon yeah. works just fine. 5 to 8 on peppers. So if you're do- doing something smaller, mm-hmm. like let's just say like yeah. a window box size, because that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a, I think a size people can yeah. identify with. I really love leaf lettuce in oh, yeah. a container. So microgreens. A cut yeah. and and we're talking more about a mm. cut and come again type like a, a like a leaf lettuce. lettuce like the kind that you, you buy cut lettuce. and just like a huh? Not like right, a not a head, right, not right, iceberg, yeah. not romaine, well, leaf lettuce. And so this is something that you can go out with a pair of scissors and you can cut and it's going to refresh itself. You know, if you if you've got a shady area that you can keep it in, it will last longer throughout the summer because lettuce is going to be a cool season uh, crop, which means you can start getting some of that earlier in the year. Uh, so it, it does really well if you have a pot that's a little bit deeper, like a little bit of a taller pot, but it doesn't have to be large. You can do something like carrots. You can do radishes. Radishes are if you are struggling with, um, I feel like I talk about radishes a lot, but I've been growing them this year and they're just, they're just on my mind, but like, they're so mm-hmm. easy and they're so fast. So if you really yeah. need a confidence booster, you can have radish harvests in a month, mm-hmm. you know, from the time you put them on the seed. Too, like yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. just, they're, they're a good confidence booster. So if you really want, or if you've got kids involved uh, and they, uh, you know, really kind of need, I mean, it's not instant satisfaction, but something to kind of keep them motivated. Mm-hmm. You can see those radishes growing and you're harvesting in a month. So you can really see from week to week, the differences that, that yeah. they make. But you know, even carrots will do well if you have a, something a little bit of a deeper container. You know, sometimes you have those ones that are uh, tall and skinny, uh, and those mm-hmm. carrots and all will of those do you're, just fine you're in just that. Dir- uh, but leaf lettuce is seeds, definitely your direct seeding. You're not having not have to have transplants mm-hmm. for that. You can just mm-hmm. kind of sprinkle the seeds and cover them up. And right, so it's and a really case, cheap what option. Kind of, too, what so, am I filling um, my, my window box with as far as media? 
so I'd recommend just like a regular old potting soil, nothing fancy. Um, you can buy the cheapest potting soil you can find, uh, and that and that will be fine. Um, that's usually the you best. You kind of have way to, to pay go. attention a little bit, depending on what you're growing. If you're growing something like a micro green that takes very little soil, you can even grow those on mats. But you have to kind of pay attention because a lot of the formulations I've noticed the last 10 years, they want to pre-incorporate because they can charge more. They want to pre-incorporate fertilizer. That is something very good to know. If mm. it's pre-charged with a fertility yes. mix, very good to know because fertility is something that's incredibly hard to control in containers anyways because of the frequency of watering and you just don't have, the medium just doesn't hold fertility like a mineral-based soil. But it is good to know that if, if there's fertilizer up front because that will feed if it says three months it's probably going to feed much 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 less than that uh but that that's a good fact to know like let yeah like, like old lettuce like, like old lettuce that? box sheffield uh, for yeah. lettuce and things like that yeah alexis lettuce my recommendation for a, like a smaller box i'm kind of a bang for the buck sort of guy so i always like to recommend and and fantasize i started with culinary herbs specifically like mm-hmm. i really like onion chives i think a cool oh, yeah. mix Those would be like onion chives maybe um like thyme mm-hmm. and they'll do well in kind basil. of small space yeah, basil basil's well. good yeah basil works awesome and you know, you know like that's a way you can really you know if you're having to buy having having access to fresh herbs really takes takes the game up and it can save yeah. a lot of money because i mean if you're going to the store and you're buying like quote unquote fresh herbs they're weeks old and they're very expensive but if you're pulling them right off the plant and into the pot that you're cooking in or the pan then mm-hmm. also like huge. herbs in containers because you can control them a little better mm-hmm. certain certain herbs like to get loose in the garden sure like a little uh, mint yeah, or something a mint. i'm looking at you mint um <laughs> What else? I mean, you can even go outside, even in contain- small containers now. You can like Bushmaster cucumbers or the bush top cucumbers. You can even grow cucumbers very well in very small containers. They have a mm. very limited root system and they don't grow, you know, it'll say two to three feet vines and, and they'll go two, two to three feet. They don't bond like a traditional cucumber. So variety selection is really important in containers. Whether it's a tomato, you don't want a big boy tomato generally in a container unless it's huge because they're just going to grow, grow, grow and topple your container. Uh, the mm. same goes for cucumbers and things like that. There are plants, peppers included, just lots of garden crops that have been developed just for containers. Mm. And those, I think another guys, thing just as far as the container gardening that I'd like to throw out is that, you know, beauty is truth and truth beauty. That's all you know on earth and vegetables are cool too. I think uh, someone famous said that once, but there's a lot of flowers that you can do in containers. We actually have a blend. We do a lot of stuff in the ground, obviously uh, I've talked about, but we also have a lot of container accent plants and little, you know, and you can get a cool container that looks cool. That is part of the design. And if you again, if you're on a patio or you just have a little patio area or uh, you don't want to get into the, the ground growing game. Um, we have like, uh, we do like petunias and geraniums and coleus and there's a lot a lot of different options of stuff especially in the annual side of things where you can just put and it's amazing we have this little little row of pots of petunias on the side of our driveway that the i built this little kind of stand thing that obscures this really gross asphalt job that these people did previous to us <laughs> living here And it's amazing just walking out and seeing that little accent of color, that pop of color and fresh, just like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. it just feels so welcoming and it it has a tangible positive influence on my day. And it's just a container. It's nothing crazy. And like you said, it's cheap potting soil, Mm -hmm. a little bit of a time release fertilizer that Mm because it didn't want stuff we had, didn't have it. Mm -hmm. And that it's a, even if that's all we had, that is like a remarkable little accent piece that works really well. And I think people, you know, going out on that patio and maybe, maybe it makes you want to spend a little more time outside and get a little bit of more vitamin D and it just, mm-hmm. it, I am all, I'm yeah. constantly amazed at how those little touches can just drastically improve. And it's the same way when I get a bouquet from, from Alexis or from the Bel Air Blooms or any of the other growers, it's just like, man, that is just so much like, it's just better. 
it's just better. It just it and softens it's, it's the space. Ephemeral, it? like and there's some sort of reflection there. But at the very base level, yeah, it softens and brightens the space, and that's another way you can use containers. And when you when we're talking about you know containers, whether no matter what you're talking about, I don't care if you're talking about house plants or whatever. But a lot of the time, people are doing this combi- like combination, putting multiple plant types of plants into one uh, one container and they do that a lot in that annual flower production and so one thing i i see and i see this at box stores so like big businesses created these you know big no better than to do this type places do this but they'll combine what i consider a shade plant with a full sun plant and so make sure that if you're making your own container you're you know where you're going to put it first of all I'm going to put it right over here in this corner and it, it's, you know, hot at, you know, four o'clock and full sun on it. It's a full sun area. Only choose full sun plants. You're going to get the most success out of that. Uh, but if it's in a shady area, don't put a, you know, a plant that likes a lot of sun in that shady area or mix it in because what's going to happen is the, somebody's going to beat somebody else out, right? So if you're in a shady area, the shady plants are going to beat out sun plants because they're going to be much happier and healthier. Uh, And you're also not going to get as many blooms because that plant we've talked about, you know, heat stress and drought stress before. And so ties that in, that plant is going to be more Mm -hmm. stressed because it's not in the ideal situation. So just kind of think of that if you're the one, you know, making that or buying that plant, make sure that it's, it's suitable for where you're going to put it, even if it's in a container. Brett mentioned something that's uh, really, really super important, I think, in containers. One of the, the most important things to me. You mentioned a uh, slow-release fertilizer, but that's something that becomes much more important in containers because you're watering so much more often. You're you're just flushing all the time. A lot of times in a container, much more often in a substrate, as we mentioned, doesn't hold nutrients very well. So your slow-release fertilizers are a good option in a lot of cases, not all cases, but a lot of cases, because it sort of buffers the release somewhat. Mm-hmm. The thing to keep in mind about those um, those uh, timed release fertilizers is a lot of those that have a specialized coating that sort of holds under the fertilizer and it slowly releases as you water. A lot of those will say they'll feed, you know, two to three months. Yeah. But that's based on 70 degrees. If right. we're in a warmer temperatures than that, that's going to be more yeah. like three to four weeks, five weeks. So remember that. You just don't add a coated fertilizer and think it's going to last that long if we're in the summer in Kentucky. And our last episode, we talked about heat stress. We get hot here in Kentucky sometimes. Just know that that fertilizer is going to go out into the plants much faster than if it were cooler. So that's, but it's, I still think it's a great option. Slowly because every time you you water you're going to get that little dose of that and micro dosing is much more important in containers mm-hmm. to provide a constant feed of fertilizer and even knowing that it's really difficult when you grow something like a tomato in a container it's really difficult not to have blossom end rot and other new nutrient deficiencies to super tough unless you have a lot of experience it's just a, it's just tough. So I think fertilizer is important. Uh, you generally have to fertilizer fertilize more than you think, mm-hmm. particularly when you're growing vegetables in containers. Does that is that true for flowers also, or what's the? I think people are more accustomed to 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 mm-hmm. using fertilizer on flowers in containers. It seems like the ones I've worked with. Well, I think we've like roundabout said this, but not directly said this. You know, you. When you grow a plant in a container, no matter what it is, yeah, you are you give it everything, right? There's no buffering there. So, um, other than if you you're lucky enough that it rains and your container is an area that can get rain, there's no buffering. So, when we have soil, we have buffering for heat, we have buffering for uh, water, nutrient availability. We have that naturally in the soil when we're planting there. We don't have any of that. And you you have a st- essentially a sterile environment. So you are you have to give that plant everything that it needs. That being said, talking about, you know, medias and those, you know, those substrates and fertilizer, personally, this is a personal preference and just something I've learned over the years growing all types of container plants is I don't like to start with a media that has a fertilizer in it. 
So a lot of the time, those of us who are doing potted plants, we're not doing just one type of plant. When you're doing small, you might be potting up this plant for tomatoes, but over here you're going to do your petunias, but you also have some pothos and jade inside. So you're going to use that same bag for a lot of stuff. All those plants have different nutrient recommendations. They have different areas. They're going to be some are annual, some are more like a perennial. Um, so, so that in itself says I don't need that. It's also a lot more expensive to buy it, like fertilizer in that bag. You know, Mm -hmm. it might not seem that way, but when you kind of think about it, then buying your fertilizer, whether that's slow release or whether that's just something like a miracle grow that you're going to, you know, have mixed up or on the end of your hose and apply every time you water. And so it's a lot more expensive in the long run. And also it's not the best for everything. And so you can fine tune your fertilizers if you are the one applying it based on the size of your container and all of that jazz. So my recommendation to you would be not to buy any any fertilizer with a starter in it. And, and especially true if you're going to grow something with seeds. So I do not recommend any fertilizer wh- um, when you're first starting seeds. Uh, it can cause some damage to those really young plants. They don't need fertilizer when they're first right. coming out of that seed. And so you're going to waste a lot of that fertilizer or potentially damage those young seedlings by applying, by having it too early. So don't, don't waste your money is my yeah, I, I found it, it's get, gotten a little bit harder for me to find not non-charger starter media at box stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I even had to like yeah. contact it, it one of the manufacturers because it wasn't immediately apparent whether there wow. was or wasn't. And there was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was just yeah. Yeah. One thing if you're not if you're not sure, fun fact, anything that has fertilizer in it will have the three numbers on it for nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. So you don't if you're just looking whether or not it has some because I agree with you, Brett. I have looked sometimes and been like is this got a fertilizer in it or not? Like it's hard to find, but it will always, because it's law, will have the percentage of fertilizer in it on there. So you'll just see three numbers. So it might say 10-10-10, or it might say just 0.2-0.1. You know what I mean? Right. It might be very, very minimal, but it will always have that. So if you see those three numbers separated by dashes, you don't need to look any further. You know it's got yeah. fertilizer in it. So that's the sometimes it's really difficult to find. What, and if you're just like getting started, <laughs> don't get too worked up about any of this. Yeah. Just buy something that looks good, throw a plant in it and try. Like, but it, it, as you, if you're like us, the one plant will suddenly become many, many more. Yeah. And you want to get more specialized and you want them all to do well. And <laughs> it just kind of. Yeah. Not only will the plants multiply, <laughs> but so will your ambitions. <laughs> yeah. Runaway train. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to justify my addiction here. If you look out back, I have multiple things in containers. And I'm so excited, you guys, about, you know, we've talked a little bit about containers, but these soft containers Mm. that you can get at online order sources, have you guys gotten into those and tried any of those? Like uh, they, the bags you, and stuff like that? Yes, like, uh, the, like the fiber bags. The fiber bags. Like they yeah. degrade, right? Okay. Yeah. I've been using those uh, for a lot of projects here the last two or three years, and I know the, the quality varies a lot with those, but so excited over stuff like that. Uh, and I have, I love them so much, I'm even using them at home in place of, I was getting like used nursery containers I'd go and source and spec mm-hmm. and buy for a mm-hmm. few bucks, uh, you know, used containers, clean them up good. But now I've switched over using 10-gallon 10 gallon grow bags and they've worked exceedingly well. I don't know how long they're going to last, but I guess Mm. container technology is one of those things that uh, has come along too. And they're Mm. lightweight. They can ship you five in a pack that's vacuum packed and they're a little two inch by six inch container, tiny. And here you've got five 10 gallon containers that come in this tiny little package. And it's Mm. amazing. I know they've been used in other countries for a long time and they've been used commercially, but uh, pretty excited about that becoming more prevalent with homeowners. We've used, as I said, a lot in the county as demos and people are just blown away and they have handles. You have to kind of be careful because when you uh, wet down potting soil or your substrate mix, it can get really heavy, mm-hmm. right. um, but you can still move them around. It's pretty amazing. What well, can we at the containers can, for that? So yeah. Container do you think we can do a little brief primer, key differences, et cetera, for houseplants and maybe leave it open. You know, we'll talk, talk very briefly about them. And then if folks want a full, full length episode on the houseplant vibe, we can, we can do that. 
Yeah, we. Yeah, I love house plants. Alexis, I was like, got you can see it. Yeah, so I feel free to guide this because I, I yeah, that's enough. Talk that's about enough. all kinds of oh, stuff, God. but I would say like. <laughs> and cut her off. Cut her off. Thank you, Alexis. Cut her, Mike. I'm a the only person that ever made indoor plants fun. Aww. I had a master I... gardener group tell me that. Really? They said Alexis was the only one that ever made indoor plants the presentation worth it. Like, no, that was actually good. We're surprised. Oh, uh, that's saying that something. Was Alexis. I, that was Alexis. I, she was very passionate. I like talked at them for like two straight hours. So She's that's surprising. I, I was like, why are they listening? This is indoor plants. This is something we don't really don't. Yeah, but they loved it. Good stuff. <laughs> well, like I, I kind of mentioned before, so all through undergrad, I like I worked in the research greenhouses on campus, and they were the the houses that and they used for like demonstration and all the classes. If you're trying to use, find so them, they're actually collection. clear. Oh. They're not green. That common mistake. They're cl- actually they're just called clear <laughs> houses. Yes. Yeah, common mistake, common mistake. Yeah. I mean, you can see it's not like green chalky through or whatever that though, so. is. Yeah. I mean, hopefully if you're doing it right, right. But anyways, the whole collection, so everything from, you know, desert plants to, you know, the deep jungle type plants and so kind of got a full spectrum and and one thing like we've already talked about media, but like I can't stress this enough is knowing I tell everybody when they say houseplants, my favorite thing that people say is, I, I have a you know a brown thumb. I can't grow a cactus. I killed a cactus. Someone said that to me the other day. And I said, girl, where are cactuses Lotus. from? Oh. And she said, the desert. And I said, and is your house the desert? And she goes, <laughs> no. And I said, there you go. So <laughs> when you're thinking about houseplants, if you have one, if you want to go buy one, the, the thing I always lead off with is, where is that plant from and how can you best recreate that environment? Um, some plants are more adaptable than others. So that's why we say pothos and jade are some of the easiest ones to do because they are just so adaptable to dry, humid, wet, cold, whatever um, situations. But then you've got other plants that are going to be much more particular about their humidity levels. And with houseplants, it's a big deal. Their watering schedule, you Usually our houseplants die by overwatering more than underwatering. As an example, I water my houseplants at most twice a month. Um, so if you're watering every week, it's probably too much if they're still inside. But there's like there's this whole thought process, and that is the thing that has helped me the most is where is this plant native to? It's a quick Google search will help you. If it's native to the jungle, it probably needs high humidity. If it's native to the desert, put it by your heat register where there's going to be lots of dry air and somewhere with a south facing mm. window because it's going to need some light. Um, and that's like the best advice mm. I can give you for What about, <laughs> are there different media considerations there? Yeah, and Brett, I mean, Brett, with your, you know, knowledge and bonsais, you can talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, like, so, you know, if you've got succulent type plants, so like string of pearls is one that everybody loves and everybody kills. And I am here to tell you that I have had my string of pearls now for you didn't, you like didn't have to flex years. on them like that. You so, did not have uh, to I think I know what I'm like talking that. about. I am flexing so <laughs> That's hard. That's a flex. In case you missed it. It's, oh, and by the way, did I mention it's a not, variegated not just slightly geared, it's very geared, very If you well. know, you know. Very if you know, you know. <laughs> and I also have a tricolor string of hearts Whoa. that I've kept alive for two years now. Dang. So if you know, you know. But uh, what I've learned with those is that <laughs> they tend to – we get rot on them. Most of the time people kill them because they rot. Or and then they see them rotting and they stop watering them because they don't want them to mm. rot and then they don't water them like enough you're talking about root, and then they dry out. So it's or? kind of a, a two step <laughs> root rots. Yep. So they just kind of they rot right out. And I was using regular potting soil that I use with all of my house plants, but I'm using that potting soil, just plain old bag of potting soil, the cheapest I can find at a box store, nothing fancy. All my other house plants do great. Cannot keep these more mm. fleshy, succulent mm. um, plants alive. So what I ended up doing is cutting that soil, that potting soil media, and I added more perlite to it. And we talked about perlite mm. earlier. It's that white substance. And so I that creates more pore space in there. And so what I found was these succulent plants, you know, we're not they're not true cacti, but they're not really, you know, 
tropicals either. They like a lot of water, but they don't want that water to stick around very long. And so I needed some to be able to water them pretty consistently, but that water to drain away relatively fast. So I just added more perlite into that mixture and we got good drainage. Now the opposite might be true if you're, you know, well, not really even the opposite, but like orchids. Orchids are a great example. They There's a specific orchid mix that you can buy. Mm-hmm. You can also make your own, but it's it's bark because orchids are epiphytes, which means they literally live on the outside of trees and they hang out and they just catch a bunch of leaf litter and they decompose that as they latch onto the side of a tree. So we want to mimic that. And so we use this woodier um, substance. There's lots of air that surrounds that root system. You know, Brett, what's your experience with bonsais? Because I know bonsais well, are your, really your comment weird. about the the balancing the drainage with the water desire of the plant there you kind of manage the mm-hmm. you manage your media depending on or you choose your media based on how much water you want to have stick around but in general with bonsai like the, the yeah. drainage is the name of the game because the smaller the container gets the harder it is to get oxygen into the container down at the roots and the easier it is for water to pool. And so um, there's all kinds of specialty components, but a lot of uh, a lot of tr- like a traditional bonsai mix would include pumice, lava, rock, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. not lava. Well, not, not lava. if you want it to be a long-term <laughs> practice. Be an exciting replanting season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this thing... This thing called Akadama, which is a a hard clay, pelletized clay that eventually breaks down into a a clay type substrate over time. And that's it. There's no Mm -hmm. organic material at all. And so you're, it it really does start to approach something more analogous. And there's like all kinds of variations on that. Some people do a hundred percent Akadama on like more things that want more water and they'll do higher proportions of other things for things that are drier. Yeah. But essentially, you're starting to move toward almost like a hydroponic system where there's your it's just mm. water flow and nutrient like little micro doses of nutrients or. Yeah, there's there's a lot a lot there, but yeah, it's a very similar thing where you kind of want to you want the water to not stick around too long because root rot is a major, major problem in those mm-hmm. those systems. I always wondered why that was so, like, why it seemed like there was nothing that held water, or not not really in comparison yeah. to what we normally think with bonsai, and so that that makes a lot of sense. You took my words, and yeah, made I mean, them I think work. in general, like you, you mentioned the <laughs> the containerized environment in general, that whether that be with outdoor plants, indoor plants, mm-hmm. any bonsai, any number of different combinations. When you have total control over that environment, which you do in that case, especially if it's inside, like a houseplant inside, mm-hmm. most, most of my bones I stay outside year round, but or all of mine do. But um, you, when you dump a bunch of water into that container repeatedly, you are controlling the environment in a not so good way. Uh, and you're drowning it, you're creating opportunities essentially for the roots to not have enough oxygen and then they start to die and decay and the bacteria and other microflora take over and start to kill it. And so that overwatering, I think, is a is a big problem in uh, most containerized environments uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, here's a thought I just had. Do you think people who like to feel power have a lot of <laughs> containerized plants because you have all of the power at some point. And it's like, can you tell a person who does not have a lot of power in other ways of their life <laughs> by the amount of container plants? That I they feel have? that my container plants make me humble. I have just the opposite of, they have the opposite effect so on me. From a look, either. <laughs> yeah. You crave the great power or you fear the great well, responsibility. Oh, when they die. Yeah. <laughs> great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Keep your plants alive, people. Well, yeah, maybe that's a good place to summarize this and kind of wrap things up. Containerized plants, there's a lot going on. I mean, ranging from kind of indoor plants and outdoor plants, basically house plants for people, people who have space limitations, or maybe they just have a porch to work with, something like that. Or maybe they're looking to grow exotics, things that are not really conducive to the environment that exists outside. Uh, ranging all the way to kind of container production and people who are growing plants 
for commercial reasons, but to sell those live plants and needing to grow them and deliver them or sell them in a container. You know, we talked about the needs. I mean, it's something we kind of couldn't get away from is how water behaves in those container environments and the critical component of what you are putting in the container and what is it made out of. You know, if you're just doing something small, working with uh, a pre-mix that you can buy at a, at a big box store is going to be fine. If you are needing to fill many, many containers, you're probably going to have to kind of construct something out of a mix of different components and what's available. Uh, and in a small container, you can grow a lot. You can grow spinach, you can grow chives, you can grow thyme, you can grow basil, you can grow lettuce. Um, there's a lot of different things you can grow in those small things, as well as you can grow things that are simply attractive, like uh, flowers and some of those special ones, like things that grow in tree bark. Orchids, pretty wild, but or you can go really over the edge and get into bonsai production, like <laughs> over <bread>. the edge. <laughs> <laughs> you can go cray. <laughs> yeah, you can completely. You can really have power struggles. <laughs> you can. And... You can answer the question: How can I make a plant exactly so dependent right. on me? <laughs> uh, one resource that we forgot to mention that might be good for those of you who are wanting to do container vegetable or herb gardening that we have is the home vegetable gardening in Kentucky booklet. And so this is something that you can get at any of your Kentucky extension offices. We'll have copies for you, uh, but you can also look it up online. If you're the kind of person who just wants to be able to read it online at any time, an easy way to look this up is by typing in the letter I D is in dog dash one two eight and then put uky behind it so we call that in the, in the ray biz. and i would be like oh yeah id 128 uh so that's, that's <laughs> yeah that's what we call it uh but it is the home vegetable gardening guide in kentucky that's what it's called uh, mm -hmm. and so there's a whole a table in there that says, okay, tomato needs this size container. This is when you plant it. Lettuce needs this size container. And this is when you plant it. So it's kind of a foolproof way to get started if you're wanting to do containers uh, for vegetables or herbs uh, specifically. So just kind of wanted to throw that one out there. And then of course, uh, like we've started doing, leave, leave us a review. So uh, we would appreciate that. That makes the algorithm happy and makes more plant people be able to find us. So so uh, please do that or share. Uh, if you think somebody would like this episode, please share this with them. Uh, we would love to reach more people and hopefully you're enjoying it. Uh, you can also contact us. Our contact information is in the show notes. And so if you would like, please let us know what you want to listen to. So, you know, we kind of hit on two more specific things, um, houseplants and bonsai in this uh, episode. So if you want to hear a whole episode on one of those, please let us know. Obviously, I would love to talk about houseplants and I'm sure Brett would love to talk about bonsai and I would love to hear about them. So, But we want to do what uh, maybe is for for you all and we know those are very specific. We kind of usually cover a lot people. of more broad topics. This pod is for the people, for our plant peeps, right? Mm, shout out uh, to our the true leaves. leaves out there, as we we fondly refer to them as. Shout out <laughs> to you all! Uh, so please leave us a review, shoot us a message. You can follow us on Instagram at at Hort Culture Podcast, and you can let us know on there uh, if there's any cool ideas that you have. Uh, but I believe that is it for the day. Uh, in July, we're going to be talking about uh, cut flowers because it is Kentucky Cut Flower Month. Uh, so we're very proud of that. Obviously, I'm very excited. So hopefully we're going to have some cool guests on here to talk with you guys uh, about some cut flowers and some special episodes. But anyways, as we grow this podcast, we hope that you will grow with us and we will see you next time. Thanks so much.